2. We're starting at verse 13 this morning. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. I'm reading from the New King James Version. This is what the Bible says. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Title of the message this morning is Traitors, Thieves, and Jesus. And if you'd like to track along with the message this morning, you can listen for these things. A quick recap. Eye to eye with Jesus. Resume killers. The healthy church. A key word. And a Christian name. A quick recap. Eye to eye with Jesus. With Jesus. Resume killers. The healthy church. A key word. And a Christian name. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, it's good to come into your presence this morning. Thank you for meeting us here. And thank you so much for uh, the privilege of fellowship, the privilege of family as a community of believers here at Grace. And I pray your blessing now upon each person in this room. I pray your blessing now on everyone who's watching online. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will do a work within us, give us ears to hear, please. Give us understanding. Thank you so much for these uh, five verses. Like a pact. God, help me please not to be a distraction. Uh, but may what needs to get passed along be made clear by your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. So our passage uh, this morning begins with, with these words. Then he went out again by the sea. 
Then he, that is Jesus, went out again by the sea. That word again refers back to verse 16 in chapter 1, where the Bible says, And as he, again that's Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee. So it was here in Mark chapter 1, by the shore of the Sea of Galilee, that Jesus called two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, and James and John, four fishermen, to be his disciples. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And the Bible says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. So let's do a quick recap of where we've been over the past month or so. From the Sea of Galilee, Mark has Jesus and his new disciples going into Capernaum, where Jesus taught in the synagogue and cast a demon out of a man. And that was followed immediately by the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, which resulted in many others in the town, in the region, throughout Capernaum, bringing their sick to Jesus for healing, bringing those who were demon-possessed to Jesus to have demons cast out of them. And if you were here three weeks ago, do you remember what Jesus did the following morning? After all of that, what did he do the following morning? He went to a solitary place and he prayed. He spent time alone with his father. He rose early, found a solitary place, and he prayed. And then verses 38 and 39 of chapter 1 say that Jesus and his disciples left Capernaum to go into the towns and synagogues throughout Galilee to preach because that's why he came. He didn't come to be a miracle worker. He came to preach the gospel message. So they went out into Galilee. Two weeks ago, we finished off chapter 1 with the healing of the leper. Last week, we were in chapter 2. We talked about the healing of the paralytic. And at the start of chapter 2, Mark says Jesus entered into Capernaum again. As an aside, keep these two events, the, the healing of the leper and the healing of the paralytic, keep them in mind, because I'm going to refer to them later in the message. They have something to do, something of importance with today's passage. So after leaving to preach throughout Galilee, Jesus returns to his home base, Capernaum. And if you've been here for the past several weeks, you'll recall a, a map that our pastor has shown on the screen. Uh, it's a map of the Sea of Galilee. Now, I'm going to turn around so you see it like I do, okay? Imagine the face of a clock, the face of a clock. This right here is the Sea of Galilee right here. Capernaum is located on this northwest corner at the 11 o'clock position, right at the shore to the Sea of Galilee. So Capernaum is by the Sea of Galilee, where we find Jesus in verse 13 of chapter 2 this morning. Then he went out again by the sea. 
And all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. So as, as Jesus is, is walking toward the shore, crowds of people continue coming to him. And the verb tense here where Mark says, and he taught them, is actually a, a verb of continuance. He continued to teach them. He kept on teaching them. Jesus kept on. As they kept coming, he kept teaching. Every opportunity for Jesus was a teaching opportunity. If people wanted to hear what he had to say, and he gladly obliged them. Oh, and verse 14, by the way, makes it clear that Jesus does this while he's continuing to walk. There's no sitting and teaching. They're walking together. As they're walking, as people are coming, they're leaning and they want to hear what Jesus has to say. He's teaching as he's walking. He's walking because he has an appointment with a man named Levi. Levi doesn't know it yet. But Jesus has an appointment with him. He's going to see him. Start of verse 14. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. There is so much information in this verse, and this is only half the verse. As Jesus is walking, people are coming. As people are coming, he is teaching. And as Jesus is walking and teaching, he passes by a tax office. Now this tax office is a toll booth. You understand that? It's a toll booth. There are two possibilities here. If it's closer to the Sea of Galilee, then it's likely for the collection of a ferry tax for the transport of people and goods across the sea. If it's more inland, then it's located along a trade route that runs through Capernaum. Goods would then be taxed as they go along that trade route at this particular toll booth. So this is important. The Jews in Jesus' day were under Roman rule. So taxes that were collected went to Rome, not to the Jews. Land taxes and poll taxes were collected directly by the Romans. Taxes on trade and other types of taxes were contracted out. Here's how it worked. A Jew would place a bid on a toll booth. That toll booth per Rome was to raise a certain amount of taxes. So a Jew would bid on that toll booth, fulfilling the amount of taxes that Rome expected from it. They'd probably go a little higher because they wanted to win the bid. Because if they win the bid, then they own that toll booth. And in owning that toll booth, they can now charge whatever they want. As long as they make enough money to cover what they spent, 
everything else on top they can fill their own pockets with. Today we'd call it a surcharge. You get that? Some of these surcharges were pretty high because some of these tax collectors were very wealthy. Often he might, he might, if he owned a toll booth, occupy that toll booth himself. More likely, he'd hire another Jew to do that for him. So he'd sit up in his comfortable, rich house while someone else was taking all the heat for collecting these taxes at exorbitant prices. Do you understand that? So in that toll booth today, here in Mark chapter 2, verse 14, ladies and gentlemen, I give you Levi. Probably not the owner of the toll booth. Probably an employee of the toll booth owner. But he's still a Jew. He's still collecting money for the enemy. And therefore, he is still hated. And you can understand why. Tax collectors were considered traitors to Israel. They were robbers and thieves in the eyes of the people. They were expelled from the synagogue. They were judged not worthy of forgiveness. They were outcasts and a disgrace to their families. And this one's name is Levi. Can you imagine this scene? Better. Can you imagine being in that toll booth? And can you imagine seeing this crowd of people coming down the road? Because you're sitting in that toll booth, collecting taxes from people going by. You hear a little bit of a commotion. There's a, a large crowd coming. Kind of look through the window. Here comes this crowd of people, one guy kind of leading the way, doing all the talking, people around him kind of straining in, hearing what he, wants to say, what he has to say, wanting to hear from this man coming. You're the outcast here now. You're the one in the toll booth. You're the one who's hated. Your only other friends are tax collectors. And the guy walking down the road, the guy with the crowd following behind him, the guy doing all the talking suddenly stops and he looks directly at you. You are now eye to eye with Jesus. You are Levi right now. Whether you've met him, whether you've seen him before, uh, I don't know, but surely you know who he is because you are from Capernaum. And you remember the whole town, the whole region knows who Jesus is now. His fame is spreading abroad because of his healings. 
because he's what, what he's been doing. People have been bringing their loved ones to Jesus to be healed. Everybody knows about this. Everybody's heard about Jesus. So have you. You've heard about him. You're now getting your eyes on him. Not only that, you're eye to eye with him. Right now in this moment, Jesus is looking at you, the outcast. And he, that is Jesus, said to Levi, follow me. Let me stop there for just a moment. I'll get to Levi's response soon enough. Follow me, Jesus says. Let me paraphrase these words for you. Keep in mind the image of Jesus eye to eye with you. See him point right at you. And hear him say these words. I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. What? Nobody chooses you. Nobody wants you. Your people, the Jews, don't want you. The synagogue doesn't want you. Your own family doesn't want you. And yet here is Jesus, the teacher, the healer, the forgiver of sins. I choose you. Follow me. How would you feel? How would you feel? How do you think that made Levi feel? Mark writes, so he, that is Levi, arose and followed Jesus. You will find in, in this, uh, that this account is uh, in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke as well. Matthew chapter 9 and Luke chapter 5. And the words of Matthew, as they're written in the New King James Version at least, the words of Matthew are exactly the same as they appear in Mark. So he arose and followed him. But I like how Luke says it because Luke goes deeper. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Those additional words, so he left all may seem minor at first glance but they're anything but minor they're very significant with four simple words luke captures the full weight of levi's decision so he left all it's not that levi just left the tax money behind it's not that he left the toll booth unattended. He 
left everything. Think with me. If following Jesus hadn't worked out for Peter and Andrew, or for James and John, what could they have done? Tell me. They could have gone fishing. They were fishermen. James and John could have gone back there to their dad and said, Hey, Dad, we need a job. All right, sons, start mending the nets. Let's go to work. They could go back to fishing. Levi didn't have that luxury. He'd be replaced at the toll booth and never get his job back. He had no family to return to. They had disowned him. He would never get another job either. I read an online article uh, this week. It was called The 11 Things You Shouldn't Include on Your Resume. I found, uh, I found it on uh, Indeed.com. It was dated July 2021, so it's really recent. I'm not going to read all 11. I'll read just a few. Things you shouldn't include on your resume. Number one, inaccuracies about your qualifications or experience. You know, for every promotional cycle that I had to go through at the sheriff's office, I had to send in an updated resume. If that resume contains any inaccuracies at all, if you lie on your resume, you will not only be removed from the promotional process, you will probably be fired because lying in the police profession is a fireable offense. Number one, inaccuracies about your qualifications or experience. Number two, passive language. No one wants to know what happened to you in your job. They want to know what you did to make things happen. Passive language, a no-no. Number three, ne negative comments about a former employer. Nobody wants to read that. I left my last job because my boss was a jerk. Good luck getting a job. Spelling mistakes and grammatical errors. You want to submit a resume that's professional and well done. There are seven more. I won't read them. Let me share with you the number one resume killer in Jesus' day. Under previous job, tax collector. Levi was unemployable. He was a traitor. He was a thief. No one would ever hire him. He'd never get another job. He'd never be able to support himself again. Tax collector is a resume killer. He's a traitor and a thief. No one would hire him. He walked away from everything when he went to follow Jesus. But faith in Jesus doesn't just happen in the head. It happens in the feet by following him. Real life change happens when you follow Jesus. And following Jesus comes with a cost. Story continues. Look down at verse 15. Now, 
It happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. I love Levi's response to his new faith here. This is how Luke writes it. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. Levi throws a party in his home. And it's not just an intimate gathering, but a great feast, Luke says. Jesus and his disciples are invited. And Levi is so excited about his new faith that he invites all of his friends to meet Jesus. But his only friends are tax collectors and sinners. They're his only friends. Than the only people he can invite. But they want him to know. He wants them to know. What he now knows. He wants to introduce his friends. To Jesus. This is the one who changed my life. You need to meet him. Remember those days early in your faith. When Jesus excited you. Remember when you wanted everyone to meet him, to know him, to follow him. So Jesus and his disciples are eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners here. And Mark adds a parenthetical statement in verse 15. For there were many, and they followed him. For there were many. That phrase refers back to disciples by this time we know of the call of peter andrew james john and now levi to follow jesus but there are more than those five and i don't believe here that mark is limiting uh this comment to the 12 either there are more than 12 here a disciple is a learner that's what the word disciple means. A disciple is a learner. Jesus' disciples followed Jesus in order to learn and then put into action what they learned. Mark says there were many disciples at this party with Jesus. And many came from the ranks of the tax collectors and sinners who are now meeting Jesus and understood Levi's decision understood who Jesus really was. We know that because of the last four ver words in the verse. And they followed Jesus. They followed him. Matthew's outreach, Levi's outreach to his fellow tax collectors and sinners resulted in many following Jesus. Amen! Amen! Verse 16. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Scribes are students and interpreters of the law. They had great influence. They were regarded with much respect. They were allies to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a religious 
sect of the Jews who believed righteousness was attained by human effort. They pledged themselves to obey every facet of the law and religious tradition. And they were sticklers for ceremonial purity. The word Pharisee means separated one. The Pharisees separated themselves from others who didn't believe like they did or observe religious works like they did. They judged others harshly who were not like them. These scribes and Pharisees saw Jesus eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners, and they judged him. It's important to understand in the Jewish culture in Jesus' day that sharing a meal meant togetherness. It meant, it meant fellowship. It meant friendship. It meant a spirit of trust exists between us. Jesus was associating with tax collectors. A room full of traitors and thieves. A room full of men not worthy of forgiveness. Oh, and he's associating with sinners as well. These are people who didn't observe the traditions of the Pharisees, so they were considered unclean. Because they were unclean, the Pharisees had nothing to do with them. They separated themselves from sinners. And Jesus, as a religious teacher, surely should have separated himself from these kind of people. But he didn't. By the way, as an aside, I think it's, it's funny that tax collectors are in a separate category when they're spoken of here. Tax collectors are sinners, but they're so vile and disgusting that even sinners don't want to be associated with them. So they have their own subcategory in this sinners category. Oh, there are sinners. Oh, and then there's tax collectors. Remember I told you earlier to keep the stories of the healing of the leper and the healing of the paralytic in mind. And here's where they come in. Two weeks ago, uh, Matthew preached uh, a message on the healing of the leper. Do you remember what the leper's request was? Found in verse 40 of chapter 1. He said, make me clean. Make me clean. For someone or something to be called unclean meant that it was defiled in some way. They were ceremonially unclean. Leviticus 13, verses 1 through 3 say, anyone confirmed with a case of leprosy was considered unclean. So when Jesus healed the leper, he made the leper clean again. Hear me. Jesus has the authority to cleanse those who are considered not clean. He proved that when he healed the leper. 
Here he is in Mark chapter 2 sharing a meal with sinners, people the Pharisees considered unclean. But the Pharisees aren't interested in seeing sinners made clean. If they're made clean, the Pharisees would have to have fellowship with them. But they're only interested in judging them as sinners. Last week's message was about the paralytic who was lowered to Jesus through the roof at a home where Jesus was teaching. And what, Jesus, what did Jesus do for the paralytic? He forgave his sins. He forgave his sins. And to prove he could forgive his sins, he then told the paralytic, get up. Take your mat and go on your way. And he did. Jesus has the power and authority to forgive. And here he is in Mark chapter 2 with tax collectors who were considered unworthy of forgiveness. And by sharing a meal with them, he shows he's willing to forgive any and all who come to him in repentance. But the Pharisees aren't interested in seeing tax collectors forgiven. They're not interested in grace. They're interested only in works. In the view of the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus sharing a meal with tax collectors and sinners is a blatant disregard of the law and their customs and traditions. If Jesus associates with tax collectors and sinners, then he is one of them. Which prompts their question, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? It's a question that reeks of disdain for what he's doing. It's filled with judgment. They couldn't understand how a religious leader like Jesus would hang out with such people. The thought of associating with tax collectors and sinners was disgusting them. But I like what Tony Evans says. If engaging with the lost is repulsive to you, you have lost sight of Jesus' mission and his calling on the church. Let me ask you a question. Don't answer out loud. Just think about this question and how you would answer it in your mind. What does a healthy church look like? What does a healthy church look like? Not asking about the perfect church. Asking about a healthy church. The healthiest church is not the church that's filled with mature Christians only. I would call that a stagnant church. The healthiest church is the church that has an equal number of mature Christians and an equal number of maturing Christians. You hear the difference? Mature Christians, maturing Christians. A healthy church has an equal number of immature Christians 
but growing Christians. And it has an equal number of new believers. And it has a group of people who don't know the Lord at all, but are coming because they're being invited to hear what Jesus is doing and how Jesus can change their lives. So that as mature Christians are called to preach or called to the mission field or go on to be at home with the Lord, the maturing Christians have now grown to replace the mature Christians. And the immature but growing Christians are now in the maturing category. And the new believers are becoming the immature but growing Christians. And the new believers, it's a cycle. That is a healthy cycle with people being saved and baptized and growing in faith. It's disciple making at his best. That is the healthiest church. There's a cycle of disciples pouring into others to make more and growing disciples. Let's move to verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So when Jesus hears this question by the scribes and Pharisees, when he hears how he could be eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners, he says to them, uh, those who are well, those who are physically well, they don't need a doctor. Only those who are sick need a doctor. Only those who know they have a need need a doctor. Let me talk about that last part of verse 17. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, the Bible says plainly there is none righteous. No, not one. It's found in Psalm 14, verse 3, Psalm 53, verse 3, and Romans 3.10. There is none righteous. No, not one. The Pharisees were not righteous people. But they were righteous in their own eyes. They were self-righteous. Jesus said, I didn't come for those who think their works make them righteous. I came for those who know they are sinners in need of grace and forgiveness. That's who I came for. The Gospel of Matthew adds to what Mark writes here. Matthew says, when Jesus heard that, when he heard the question, how can he be eating with and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In his gospel, Matthew quotes, uh, includes a quote by Jesus from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Go, Jesus says, and learn what that verse really means. 
Pharisees fulfilled their religious duties. They obeyed the letter of the law. They observed the proper sacrifices. But they didn't care about people. They had no concern for people. They lacked compassion for sinners. That's why Jesus said, my heart is for those who know they need me. Who know they need forgiveness. So our passage this morning is only five verses long. There's a key word in these five verses. It's used three times here, and that word, that, that key word is the word follow. That word follow is the dividing line between those who are saved by faith and those who are striving to save themselves through works. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you know you cannot save yourself. The scribes and the Pharisees, religious leaders who are held in high regard, they refused to accept that truth. While those who were outcasts, those who were known as tax collectors and sinners, knew they needed what Jesus had to offer. Mercy, grace, and forgiveness. This man... Levi is known to most of us as Matthew, the writer of the gospel by the same name. Levi is a good Jewish name. He's named after one of the sons of Israel. His dad is Alphaeus. We know later that uh, another disciple had a dad named Alphaeus as well, James the Less. He was the son of Alphaeus. We don't know if they were brothers or not. They could have been, or maybe they just had a dad who had the same name. Uh, the Bible doesn't make that clear. We also don't know the circumstances of how Levi came to be known as Matthew. But it's quite possible he wanted a new identity as a follower of Jesus Christ. Levi is the name by which he was known in a former life, his life as a tax collector. Matthew is his Christian name. And because of Jesus, Levi went from being known as a traitor, a thief, an outcast, and unforgivable, to being known as Matthew, who still today is pointing people to Jesus Christ because of his contribution to this book. A book that has changed the world. Jesus changed Levi. He can change you too. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word. And I'm so thankful for its power. Five brief verses. And yet in it, a wonderful testimony how, of how you changed the life of one man. 
and how you desire to do that for so many more. Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for what you did for us on the cross. I pray now that your Holy Spirit will do a work. Finish this message in the hearts of your people. Now please bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.